what should I do this fall? What should my major be? Should I even go to college? What do I do when I get there? Do I get involved with local ministry? What classes do I take? Should I date him or should I date her? Should I marry him? (laughs) Should I marry her? Is it the right time to have kids? Is it time to leave home? Is that the house that I should buy? Should I serve here in the church? Yes. (laughs) Where? How? I need a guitar player. Should I retire? What will I do when I retire? Hmm. Where should I go to eat lunch when Pastor Josh is done? What is God's will for my life? Uh, You've asked me to speak into this topic. We took some surveys on some things you would like me to speak into so you can decide after the message is over whether or not it was God's will or your will for me to give this message this morning and next week as we speak into God's will. When we think about God's will, we can think about it maybe in two different ways. Uh, There are two kind of classical ways to think about God's will. Of course, there are others. Uh, But the first is like this, and I didn't give this in your notes, but the first one might be called God's will of decree. God's will of decree. When we talk about God's will of decree, what we are talking about is the sovereignty of God and what God has determined to happen, what God says will happen, and what God wants to happen ultimately will happen. Uh, And so that's what we're talking about when we talk about God's will of decree, what God has ordained by his sovereign decree. The second thing or second way we might think about uh, God's will is God's will of desire. God's will of desire. And this is what God has commanded for us to do. Think about it this way. This is what we ought to do. This is what we have a responsibility to do as God's followers. God has commanded us to uh, follow him or to behave in such a way. And he has given us choices that we either make or don't make in that following of the Lord and what he wants from us and for us. Now, I know what you're thinking. How can both be true? I'm not going to answer that question for you. It just is. It's the major dilemma of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. But over the next two weeks, what we are going to talk about and kind of focus on more is God's will of desire. How do we discern that? And this morning, I'm going to start with just by simply uh, knowing how to hear God's voice. If we're going to do God's will, we have to know how to hear God's voice. And I do believe that God still speaks. He still moves. Um, And that we still have the ability to listen to God and to do God's will and to be in God's will. If you take a look at John 10, uh, verses 3 and 5, I think we see this here. And this is Jesus here explaining to his disciples about how to hear God's voice or what happens when we do. And he says, To him the gatekeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they flee from him, for they do not know the voice 
of strangers. So what's really interesting here is Jesus is kind of using a metaphor, and he calls us sheep. And it's not really a compliment. Um, right? If you've been around sheep, right, you've read a whole lot about sheep. Sheep aren't real bright, uh, but they do follow their shepherd. And really all uh, human beings are sheep. They're all following somebody. But Jesus says that his sheep follow a certain shepherd, and his sheep know who their shepherd is, and they know the voice of their shepherd. One thing about sheep is that they do know who their shepherd is. They do know who protects them and who leads them and who guides them. And I've never been a shepherd, so I don't know a lot about them. So just kind of from what I know is from what I read, but certain shepherds can make certain noises, and sheep know what to do, and they know to follow that particular shepherd and not another shepherd. They know their shepherd's voice, and they also know who's not their shepherd and who's not their shepherd's voice. And it's very important for us, as followers of Christ, who is our shepherd, to learn the difference between God's voice and somebody else's voice. Uh, John picks up on this theme throughout his gospel and then also in his letters to the church. In 1 John 4.1, he says this. He says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. In other words, what John is saying is that not all advice, not all the voices that you hear and that you get are actually from God. And what you need to do is you need to test the voices, you need to test the advice against the voice and the advice of the Holy Spirit given to us from God himself. There are a lot of voices out there. There really are. And a lot of them are well-meaning, but not all of them are God, and not all of them are godly. Uh, you uh, probably know this, but right, the self-help industry alone is a multi-billion dollar industry because we all need help. We all need guidance. And not everything people have to say, right, is, is wrong or bad or anything like that, but we must test to figure out whether those voices that are coming into our lives, whether it be from a book or from a podcast or from a video that we've been watching, is actually from the Spirit of God or if it is a different spirit. I've used this example before, but it's, it's, you're stuck with it, all right, um, because I like it. It helps me to remember this. Some of you have uh, seen, seen uh, maybe the, the best documentary ever created called Pumping Iron. Has anybody seen that? I know, I think Dan and a few others. Yes, I've used it before, so this is why I know some of you have seen it. But in the documentary, the documentary is about uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger going after, yeah, see now you know how good this is going to be, going after his sixth Mr. Olympia. It's before bodybuilding like was a really big thing. Um, Arnold was kind of the man, and they're doing this docudrama over Arnold and all these people that are trying to kind of dethrone him uh, in, in the documentary. And one of his workout partners is named Franco Colombo. Franco Colombo is a small Italian man. He's not really in the same category as Arnold because Arnold is a really big man. I think Arnold is like 6'2", 6'3", or something like that. You know, he's just a really big man. Well, Franco is probably about my size, maybe a little shorter. And um, so he's in a whole different category. But when you compete for Mr. Olympia, you get like the big man winner, and then you get a little man winner, and then they actually compete against each other. Uh, for the Mr. Olympia, which is kind of interesting. This is about as much as I know about bodybuilding, too, by the way. Um, but at some point during the, the documentary, Arnold is, is sitting alone, and they ask Arnold about Franco, who is his, one of his workout partners. 
And Arnold sits there bragging about how Franco is his child. And he is Franco's father. And he says, Franco comes to me and he asks me for advices. And I give him all the wrong advices. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a wonderful line. And uh, I just, the first time I see it, I just start laughing, right? Well, many of you, you have people in your life that you go to to get advices. And some of them, they give you the wrong advices. And you might think they are from God, but you actually need to check. And they may be well-meaning, by the way. Right? Most, most of the people probably giving you advice aren't like Arnold trying to trick you. Uh, most of the people actually probably want the best for you, but you need to test them. You have voices inside of your head, too, by the way. Most of your talk is self-talk, right? Most of the talk that you hear and most of the choices that you are trying to make are actually you processing out, okay, do I make this choice? If I do this, will this happen? Is this the right thing to do? And so forth. That's just the way it works. And most, a lot of these voices, I think, are conflicting. And maybe this is why one of the reasons that you've actually asked me to do this series, because you're trying to kind of figure out, was, was that God saying that to me or was that Chipotle? Right. So, we need to understand God's voice. Uh, Proverbs 14.12 says this, There is a path before each person that seems right, but in the end it leads to death. And so, in other words, in other words we actually really want to know, what is God's will? What is he saying to me? And today we are looking at what it takes to know what God's voice is and to hear it. And I'm going to give you four questions here to filter all of that out through. And here's the first one. And I talk about this a lot because I think this is one of the things that actually makes us distinct, distinctly Christian here. One of the things um, that makes us different from everybody else. And it's this, is does it line up with the Bible? Is does it line up with the Bible? And so I'm going to give you an example, and I'm not going to pick on anybody in particular here. I don't mean to pick on a group of people who have been through this, but I, I want to read you this out of Matthew 19, 3 through 6 here. And here's what it says. It says, The Pharisees came up to him, they came up to Jesus here, and they tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, Have you not read that he created them from the beginning, and he made them male and female? And he said, Therefore, let a man, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So what's happening here is the religious teachers are coming up to Jesus and he says, is it lawful to divorce your husband or your wife for any reason? Is no-fault divorce a good idea? Is it God's will for you to be able to, or for me to be able to, uh, just walk away from our marriage? And here's what Jesus says. Have you not read? Have you not read was Jesus' response. So the answer that Jesus gets kind of to God's will question here by these religious teachers is really simple. It's, have you not read? Jesus is basically saying, well, why are you beginning with my opinion? It clearly is written in the scriptures, and so why are you not starting there? Jesus says here, because it's kind of implied here, because what happens with the religious leaders and lawmakers like our own, right? We have uh, a lot of laws that are, make things okay. 
um, and we find ways to make them okay. But Jesus says, those laws that you have made and your lawmakers have made are not as important, important as what God has said about this topic. And so he tries to get him back to the scriptures. He tries to say, don't, don't, let's, start, let's start with the scriptures instead of my opinion. Now, there are a lot of issues that are certainly very complex, right? But one of the things that we are very good at doing with the Bible is that we are very good at making the Bible kind of say what we want to, and all the time, right? From articles I read and books I read, and um, I, I call it kind of like pastors or theologians or even people uh, just doing exegetical backflips. And what I mean by that is that things, things that seem to be fairly clear um, and fairly spelled out, like we try to find all sorts of ways to justify doing the thing that we want to do or that we think we are hearing is right instead of doing the thing that we know is right because the Bible directs us in that way. We are really good at doing this. You know, there are a lot of things there are a lot of things that we used to just kind of consider sin that we no longer do. Uh, and some of that is good, <laughs> right? I, I mean, even our own probably movement, right? We used to, everything. I, I was talking to an older man in our movement, a, a great man, and he would just tell me, he said, Josh, everything used to be a sin. Said, everything. He said, I couldn't go to the, any movie, right? And, and so we, in the church, right, there have been times where we've just said, you can't do anything fun, anything cool, stay at home with your parents and do nothing, right? But we've, sometimes, we've maybe overcorrected a little bit, right? We're now like everything is okay. Uh, but one of the things that we need to do even as a church is, is we need to think about some of these things. Uh, we need to think about them maybe historically. If historically from the time of Jesus' death and resurrection, it was pretty much considered a sin, or wrong in the church because the Bible said a particular thing at that time, and it was still wrong up to about 100 years ago or 50 years ago or even 20 years ago, it's probably fairly clear right, that it's not God's will for you to engage in that sort of activity or do that sort of thing. Here Jesus is talking about divorce. And, and the truth is, is that God doesn't hate divorced people. He doesn't, he doesn't hate people who are, are thinking about divorce, who have been contemplating divorce, but he does hate divorce. The great thing about our God and our Lord is that no matter what you've done, if you've been through a divorce or if you've done things that you know right, were against God's will, God can redeem that situation and God can redeem you. But God does not want you right, to turn your back on his word and what he desires for you at this time. So the first question you should ask yourself when you're trying to contemplate, is it God's will? What does the Bible say? The second thing you should ask is, will it make me more like Jesus? If you have a decision to make, you should ask yourself this. If I, if I engage in that, will it make me more like Jesus? Will it make me more like Jesus to date that man or to marry that man? Will it make me more like Jesus to take that job? Will it make me more like Jesus to go to that college? Or to go to that college and not engage in a ministry or not attend a local church? Will it, go, will it make me more like Jesus if I spend a majority of my time with these friends? Will it make me more like Jesus if I say this at this moment? Will it make me be more like Jesus if I send this email right now? 
John, First uh, John, John two six, he says this. He says, "Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did." So it's pretty clear, and I think most of us believe this. Right? We just kind of intuitively know this. If we're going to follow the Lord, we should live as Jesus did. We should try to imitate Him, who is interested in Christianity or who um, is kind of nominally Christian. You know that you should imitate the Lord. And some of you, you, you might kind of be in that spot where you are wanting to follow Jesus. You are wanting to imitate Jesus. But the truth is, is that you can't unless you get this first part right. Look at the first part of this sentence that John gives us here. And this is the most important part. It says, those who say they live in God. Most translations will say those who abide in God. We just don't use that word a whole lot. But here, what John is saying is to obey God, you have to live in God or you have to abide in God. And so some of us, right, when we are trying to carry out the will of God, we actually start with trying to obey God. Instead of starting with giving our life to God and declaring that our life belongs to God and receiving Jesus Christ as Savior, it always starts there. Like you don't, you don't try to clean your life up and then come to God. You give your life to God, and then God cleans your life up. And then you are able, that's the power that you have, to imitate Christ. And if you're trying to start here by imitation, instead of starting by giving your life to, 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 to Christ, you are going to be powerless, and you're going to have a very difficult time obeying the Lord, and you'll become miserable in it. But if you give your life to God, imitating God becomes a lot easier, and you're given power that you need to do so. Paul encourages us to do this in Romans 12.1. Here's what he says. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then listen here. Watch this. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By the testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and purpose and, and perfect. So here, Paul is saying, so how do you discern the will of God? Well, he says, first, you have to actually present your body before God. You have to give yourself to God first. That is the place that you start with when you are trying to discern God's will. Otherwise, what you are going to do, if you don't give your life to Christ, your voice is going to become more important than God's voice. It just is. When things get difficult or when you have a difficult decision to make, if your life doesn't already belong to Christ, guess who wins out when the, the, when the two different voices come, when it becomes yours and God's? When it's God's will against your will. If you do not first belong to Christ, your will will always win out. It just will. And so Paul says you first have to give yourself to the Lord. And then that decision will then transform your mind and your actions so that you will do what God wants you to do. You see, so many of us falsely believe that we kind of come out of the womb and our, our first and primary desire is to follow God, is to do the right thing or to do the good thing. But actually what Christianity teaches and what the Bible teaches is the exact opposite. You are bent to do the easy thing. You, you are bent actually to carry out your will and not God's will. And so here, Paul is saying, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Why? Because that's the easy thing to do. Instead, he says, be transformed by first giving your life to Christ. And some of you, most of you right, in this room, you've already done that. If you haven't, that's where you need to be. If you are struggling with doing this, maybe you just need to recommit yourself and to remind yourself that your life, another way to think about this, 
is um, my daughter. Right? If you're having trouble uh, imitating Christ, um, I, I like to think about it this way because the Bible talks about it this way. My daughter, Evelyn, uh, it's really interesting when we have people over uh, the past couple times we've had people over, we'll be sitting at the table and we'll be discussing something. And my daughter will kind of disappear out to her room. And uh, what she does is then she'll come out and she comes from around the corner and by the table like really slowly, just kind of walking like this. And she's got her princess outfit on at this point. Right? It's the cutest thing you've ever seen in your world, in the world. Right? I didn't know I wanted to have daughters until you watch something like this take place. And so she just, she'll, she'll come out in her princess outfit. She loves dressing up in her princess outfit. And once Evelyn dresses up in her princess outfit, what does she become? She becomes a princess, right? All of her decisions are made because she is now a princess, right? We too, the Bible actually talks about our faith like this. All the decisions we make now are made through the filter that we have put on Christ, that we have laid our lives down and we have put on Christ. In fact, Paul kind of, he almost ends this conversation in Romans 12 and Romans 13 by telling the people, put on Jesus Christ, your Lord. That's how you're going to do this. And so after you ask yourself, will it make me more like Jesus? Ask yourself this question if you're trying to discern God's will. Is, does godly counsel agree? This is a really important one. This is one that I'm trying to believe in more and more because I like to make my own decisions. One of the ways in our church that we are actually engaging in this right now is that we have been going through what we would call a strategic planning process. And so what we are trying to do is kind of discover our identity, who we are, and who we want to be in the future. So I've gotten our, some of our spiritual leaders in a room, and um, we hopefully uh, have been kind of listening to the voice of God and been trying to agree on a certain set of uh, core values, which we've finally agreed to, and we're going to preach on those in the fall. So we're going to talk about who we are, what we value, and who we want to be in the future. Uh, but then we got to this part we call the vision, right? It's, it's what do we want to cast? What do we want everybody to look like? What do we want our church to look like? And what you know it, we couldn't agree on it. Yeah, we had about a 60-40 split, and we couldn't agree on it. So we were going back and forth, going back and forth. And so what did we do? We tabled it. Right? Let's table it. Let's go back and pray on it. Let's go back and figure it out because we're not agreeing on it. And sometimes you might have a decision that doesn't need to be made immediately, and sometimes that's the right thing to do, especially if you have maybe followers of Christ who can't agree and are giving you a different advice. Maybe it's time to table it and pray about it a little bit. Some of you um, uh, have discovered that this has been really awesome uh, to go and get good and godly advice from people, and you've learned how important it is. This is why we push our growth groups. Here in a couple of weeks, um, we are going to encourage everybody to get in a group, and if you're not in a group, to get in a group. Not because we need a bunch of people in groups, but because this is a place where you can go to get godly counsel. Uh, I make a lot of tough decisions by going to godly counsel. I have kind of three different types of groups I'm in to make sure that I am making good decisions and I have people to hold me accountable. I have our group from the church. We have our elders here that help hold me accountable and I can speak into my life. I have a group of pastors that I go to and I run by some of the decisions I'm about to make and I ask them, if, is that a stupid idea? And when they tell me yes, um, I do my best to believe them and move on. We all need people like that. Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but the wise man listens to advice. 
And so what Solomon is saying here is that you need advisors that will give you advice to keep you from being a fool. Some of you, right, you might have advisors, but you don't have advisors that will tell you what you don't want to hear. We need advisors that will tell us not just what we want to hear, but sometimes what we don't want to hear so they can keep us from playing the fool, right? Because God's voice, God's voice won't always agree with yours. Have you ever thought about that? It took me, I don't know, it took me to my master's degree to realize that. Like, God gets to say what he wants to. And if, if God is always sounding like you, maybe you've made yourself God. And so one of the ways that we keep ourselves, right, from becoming a God to ourself is surrounding ourselves with godly counsel that can agree. This is talked about over and over again in the Proverbs and in the Scriptures in general. Proverbs 19, 20 through 21 says this, listen to, the, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Many are the plans of the mind of men, but it, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Ask yourself this question. Right? How, good are you to, how good are you at listening to the advice of others? How good are you, are you at listening to the advice of of others. Now, answer that question honestly. If somebody just usually, when they give you advice, you immediately push back without thinking about it. You're probably not very good at it. I believe there are probably, there's probably somebody in this room that just needs to answer that question honestly. And if you aren't good at it, what the Bible actually puts you, and it puts you in a really interesting category, and it just says you're a fool. And you know it, right? You've gone to people, and you've asked for advice. You've gone to godly people, and you've asked for advice, and they keep telling you, don't do that. Don't date that person. Don't go there. You know, it's probably not good for you to watch. That's not good for your kids. And you complete, you, you, you stop, you just kind of tune them out and you don't listen. You keep making the same mistake over and over and over and over again. God has put people in your life for a reason. He has. Uh, we've become way too individualistic. We really have. Others exist to keep you from playing the fool. And so this is a really important question for you to ask yourself if, to, while you're trying to discern God's will for your life. The fourth and final question is, do I have peace? This, this is a really important question to ask yourself, but it is last for a reason on this list here. Uh, and here's why. Have ignored the top three and still have peace. I've counseled people that I'm pretty certain that they were wrong biblically, uh, that what they were doing is not something that would have helped their character to become more like Christ, and everybody else has kind of warned them against. Like, this is, this, is, this is not God's will for your life. This is not good for you. Please don't do it. But they have peace. The devil can give you peace. He, he really can. He can make you feel very comfortable with your decision for a time. On the other hand, you can and you should have peace if, 
you are clear about the, what the scriptures say, if God, through this decision, is going to make you more like him, and if godly counsel agrees, if you have a decision to make and, and those three things are going on and you can answer kind of to the affirmative, like, yes, God, this is good, you should and you can have peace. Look at what Philippians 4, 6, 4, 6 through 7 says. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And so some of you, you might have come here this morning, and maybe you had a decision to make. And so you're running your decision through these filters, Right? but you still just can't pull the trigger. Don't be paralyzed by that decision. We're going to speak more into this next week, but go ahead, make the decision and go with it. What we're told here is not to worry about it because God is with you and God will get you through it. Just continue to pray about it as you go through it. And here's the deal. It might not go exactly as planned. And that's okay. That's part of the adventure of this life. But what is really awesome about our God is he is going to be with you through the decision. And he can give you peace in that decision because you know that you are doing God's will because you have listened to his voice in the way that you would, he would have you to listen to his voice. And so maybe God is speaking to you this morning. Maybe God is calling you to something. Maybe God is asking you to make a decision. I hope that you will just make that decision today knowing that you can have peace. If you're still struggling, go get godly counsel. Ask yourself, will it make me more like Jesus? And what does the Bible say about it? I believe that you all probably have decisions to make this week. Maybe you, a decision popped in your head this morning while I was speaking. I hope you can discern whether it, was, it is God's voice and what to do about it. Let us pray. Father, this morning we come to you and we believe that you do speak and you guide your sheep. And so we ask for your guidance at this time. I pray that as a church collectively that we hear your voice, even as I mentioned that we are going through this strategic planning process. Father, I pray that you guide your congregation in such a way that we can love you and love people in the way that you have called us to do. I pray that as a church that we remember to follow your word. And it is good for correction and training in righteousness. So let us follow you in that way. I pray, Father, that our actions that we engage in, our thoughts that we have, decisions that we make will make us more like your son, Jesus. I pray, Father, that you surround us all with good and godly counsel. And I ask that you give us a peace knowing that we are in your will. And that we can walk confidently in any decision that we make. Because you tell us not to worry about anything. And instead, pray about everything. And to remember what you have done for us in the past. And to give you thanks for that. So, Father, we come today trusting you with the decisions that we make, believing that we can hear from you and walk in your will and your way. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.